So I got another great testimony this week. We've had these testimonies rolling in every week, which I knew would happen if we did a series on faith and we began not just hoping, but believing when we pray. This week I got a testimony from Phil and Christina Williams that said they got a bill from the IRS they were not expecting. It was like out of the blues, like where did this come from? And so uh, they sent me a picture of the actual bill. Then the next text came in with three checks, random checks, unexpected checks from different sources that paid the bill. How cool is that? Yeah. So many times when we receive the offering, we do a declaration. And in that declaration, we say unexpected money is coming in. Because you know God's not broke, right? So we're going to continue our faith series. Like one person said to a very respected faith preacher a number of years ago, when are you going to get done teaching on Mark 11, 23, 24, which is have faith in God for whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes those things he says will come to pass, will have whatever he says. When are you going to stop preaching on that? And he said, when you get it, we'll move on. But I believe you're getting it because we are getting these testimonies coming in. That's the whole goal of this faith series is for you to, and for me, to pull heaven down to earth and experience some wholeness in our brokenness. And so I'm going to teach something today that for me was the most effective teaching that I ever received that laid a foundation under my faith that I'm still walking in today. It is a concept that is very foreign to our Western mindset. And so I am trusting that I've got my teach on, you've got your listen on, and the Holy Spirit's got his revelation on, because we're going to need that for us to grasp this concept. But I want to start with something I touched on a couple of weeks ago. As Mark and I were talking about, as he is a lawyer, that he is trained in evidence-based reality. And I say, absolutely. Nobody wants to live in fantasy land. That's worthless. And many times when you hear teachings on faith, those who are, quote, realists can think it's hype and just ridiculous. But I want to say that there are two different realities going on at all times. We as followers of Christ live in two different worlds at once. Jesus did this. There's one world that we would call evidence-based, and that is, hey, look, I'm a realist. And there's evidence here that is tangible, and I can prove it. Like, in here we have sickness. Now, this is real. I can feel it. I can feel it here in my body. I have got the doctor's report. Right here, boom, right here, the x-ray says, I have sickness. So that's reality. Yeah, that's true. But there's another reality that happens to be a superior reality. We have evidence over here, too. Let's see. When it comes to sickness, here's some tangible reality. This reality says, by his stripes, we were healed. Now, that is a fact in the unseen realm. It also says in Psalm 103, do not forget all his benefits who heals all of our sicknesses and diseases. That's also a fact in this other reality, 
which is the unseen word. Oh, also, it says that Jesus, in Isaiah 53, bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Oh, also, in the unseen realm, Jesus says that if you believe in my name, you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So you have tangible evidence over here for sickness, and we have tangible evidence over here for healing. They are both real. As people of faith, we are to be trained in evidence-based reality. Do we believe the promises of God more than we believe our physical experience in this planet? That is the question. Well, yeah, okay, but what about my financial lack? I mean, this is a reality. Look, have you seen my checkbook? I don't have enough money to pay my rent. I am stressing out. That is tangible and that is real. Well, over here we have some reality on that as well. Over here it says that, Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And Psalm 35 says that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And the Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. And the book of Deuteronomy says that it is God that gives you the power to gain wealth to establish his covenant. That's real too. Yeah, but over here, look. I need some guidance. I don't know what to do. I don't know what job to take. I don't know who to marry. I don't know what city to move to. That's tangible, man. I'm stressed out. Yeah, well, there's reality over here, too. Over here, it says in the book of Isaiah, it says that Jesus' name is Mighty Counselor. It also says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Do not trust in your own understanding, but trust God with all of your heart, and he will guide your paths. It also says, then Isaiah 58, that for the faster, God will continually guide you. It also says, for it's the castle of our cares upon him, because he cares for us. So there's evidence over here. Now, which reality is superior? I'm asking you, which one of these realities is superior? That's the question you have to decide for yourself. Well, over here, look, here's one I can't get over, man. I, I have sinned the unpardonable sin. How many of you ever thought that before? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know many of you have thought that. Because the devil uses that. You've committed a sin, it's the unpardonable sin. And you can never be forgiven. That's baloney. If you had committed the unpardonable sin, and you're carrying shame and guilt under that, you would not be here today. The unpardonable sin is for those who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, called his works of the devil, knowing that they were truly done by God. It's a sin that is so far removed from most anybody's reality. But the devil is a shamer. He's an accuser. And let's say that that's not your struggle, just a sin you actually have committed. And you walk around feeling like you're on God's B plan. Shame is one of the most powerful tools the enemy has. But look, that is a reality, and you can walk around with that shame. But over here, there's a reality too. First John 1 John 1.9, confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins. In fact, the Bible says if you have no sin, you make God a liar and the truth is not in you. It also says in Psalm 32, the blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. Also it says in Psalm 103, do not forget all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities. It also says in Psalm 103 that God takes your sins, throws them as far as the east is from the west. So... I'm a realist too. 
Now, the best case scenario is that this would be enough for us. But God knows who we are. He knows we're human. He knows we're imperfect. He knows we struggle with faith. So God, in His goodness, helps us believe. Even though He gives us His Word, and His Word should be good enough for us, we still need help. And Mark preached a brilliant message last week on this, how God helped everybody in the Bible to come to a place of faith where then God could begin unleashing unprecedented miracles. Why does God want to help us believe? I'm going to ask you this question. This is not a rhetorical question. God wants you to have faith. Why? To glorify Him. Well, what, how, how do you glorify Him? Why does faith glorify Him? Boom. You believe Him over... You believe Him in this reality. That's a reality. Believing Him is a reality. He does exist over this reality, therefore he can do a miracle. The miracle is what glorifies him because the word glory means to shine light on, to reveal, to make known, to be made famous. So when God does miracles in your life, it reflects how good and powerful he is to those around you. That's what testimonies are. How many of you want to glorify God? Look, we, just, we get caught in the middle of a miracle. We get the blessings of the miracle, and he gets the credit for the miracle. I, I want to live that kind of lifestyle, don't you? So he wants heaven on earth. He hates sickness. He hates disease. He hates lack. He hates stress. and He hates our broken human condition. doesn't hate us. He hates our pain and suffering, just like you and I do with our children. We hate it when our children suffer. So he's trying to teach us faith because faith releases heaven's resources into the earth. So, mixing our faith with God's word is essential. It's non-negotiable. We don't experience miracles without it. It's kind of like my son Josiah, who was trying to make pancakes just recently. And he got up on a Saturday morning, he had something in a bowl, and so what do you got over there? And he goes, I'm making pancakes. And I was thinking, oh dear Lord, this is going to be a disaster. And so I took a look at what he was doing, and I want him to be successful. I want him to give it a shot. I don't want to micromanage him or helicopter him. So I just watched. Well, he barely put any water in it. So he had like this Play-Doh that he was going to put on the griddle, right? It's like going to turn into a basketball or something. I said, son, you got to put more water in there. you got to mix the water with the batter to have a supernatural pancake. We've got to mix our faith with the Word of God. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, the reason that three million Jews who were promised beforehand, God said, I have, past tense, given you the land, the promised land. But because they did not mix their faith with his word, they died in the desert. How many of you want to die in the desert? Just raise your hand real big and say, me, I'm going to die in my sickness. I'm going to die in my poverty. I'm going to die in my lostness. Nobody wants to die in the desert. Neither did they. But they did. And then the writer of Hebrews says, so let us make sure we are careful not to follow their example of unbelief. But let us mix our faith with his word, so we can enter his rest. Then I saw him throwing it in the trash can. 
And I said, what are you doing? Don't tell him. Don't go out there afterwards and say your dad shamed you from the pulpit. Okay, shh. I saw him throwing the pancake in the trash can. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, it didn't work. I said, what do you mean? Well, it wasn't cooking. I said, well, son, you got to keep it on the griddle long enough for it to get brown. Oh. Okay, listen. Now, you might think that's silly, but you and I, many times, we pull the plug before the pancake's done. We are supposed to add patience with our faith. Like Abraham who was promised, a promised child, and he had to wait 25 years before it came to pass. And I want us to jump in the middle of his story, because this is where you and I are going to start learning what God did, we're going to learn what God did for Abraham to help him believe his word. And as he did, he's done the same thing with us. And the penny's going to drop here in just a little bit, so I want you to follow with me today. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, Abraham says to God regarding this promise that he gave to him years before, that I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to be a blessing and, uh, to the whole world. And Abraham says in, in uh, Genesis 15, 5, Look! You've given me no offspring! Indeed, one born to my house is my heir, meaning a servant. Look, God, look at my circumstances. I see your word says to me that you're going to give me a son, and I'm going to be blessed, and I'm going to be a blessing to all the families of the world. That's an amazing promise, and I've believed it for a while, but I've run out of faith. Look, you haven't given me a child. So now Abraham is wavering. Have you ever wavered before in the pro- with the promise of God? Anybody at all in here ever wavered? Poor Abraham, he's all alone. And in verse 4, God spoke again. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. You have a word of the Lord in your lap. It's a Bible or a Bible on your phone. It's the word of the Lord. You have it. Over 7,000 promises in that Bible for you. If you're breathing and you live on the planet, those promises are for you. In my Bible, I have no problem claiming promises for people who have died. Their turn's over, they're done, they're gone, they're in heaven, I hope, or somewhere else. But I, I literally write my name in the Bible. Like in Isaiah 53, when he's talking about Jesus, having bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and by his stripes we were healed. It starts with, who has believed our report? In my Bible, you'll see, I have. And to whom have the, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I write, to me. The Bible says you and I are heirs of the promises given to Abraham. Well, he's gone. I'm here. They're mine. Who's with me? Anybody else going to claim the promises? Who are they for? Why are we reading the book? It's not just a history book. It's a living word from the living God for your living situation that you need an evasion of heaven in. So you've got to mix your faith with the promises of God. And so, that was good preaching right there. And he says, the word of the Lord came and say, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. But God knew he needed help. So look what our father did. And so in verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he says, so shall your descendants be. God brought out the flannel gram, man. He brought out. They brought him outside, gave him a visual, like PowerPoints, like videos, like the pictures that we do, the illustrated sermons. 
God gave him a visual like I'm giving you today to help him believe. And what does it say in verse 5? And he believed in the Lord. It helped him. He pushed him over the line. How many of you have ever asked God for confirmation before? You think you've heard from him, but you asked for confirmation. Man, I ask for him over and over and over. I don't care anymore. If I need help, I need help. And I'm not afraid to ask for it. God, I don't do fleeces because the devil can answer fleeces. I ask for confirmations, ones that are clearly from the Lord. And he will give them. He loves it. He loves that journey, that relationship. He loves it when we ask him and he loves to give us little breadcrumbs along the way until we believe. I love this. But then God did what my son who's on the autism scale says when he and I are talking and then um, I'm either joking around with them or we're having a discussion that he's uncomfortable with because he's in trouble. And then he'll look at me and say, Dad, you've taken it too far. (laughs) Well, God took it too far. Because he finally got Abraham to believe that he was going to have a miracle child. But then God goes off the rails. And in verse 7 he says, Then the Lord said to him, And I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now you have to understand that Abraham was a moon worshiper. He was following his dad to a land called the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. His dad dies. God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're worshiping the moon. I created the moon. How about you worship me? Abraham said, cool. Then he said, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to be a blessing uh, to the entire planet. Great. But then, after he got him to a place where he believed that portion of God's destiny for him, he then says, and I'm going to give you 65,000 square miles of the best land on earth. Now, if you could imagine yourself standing here at the border of Tijuana and San Diego, like today, you drive down there because God tells you to, and you stand there and you're by yourself, and let's say you have your wife and no children, and that's it. Your wife's barren, and God has you stand on there and say, I'm going to give you, Brian, I'm going to pick on you today, with blessings. This isn't a prophecy, by the way. I want to clarify what I'm about to say to you. This is not one that you can claim. You can claim uh, blessings in the Abrahamic covenant that apply to your life, but this one's not for you. I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. You you decide. I'm going to give you from the border of Tijuana and San Diego all the way up to San Francisco. All the cars, all the homes, (laughs) Everything, the mountains, the streams, the desert, the oceans, all, all the resources, all the minerals, everything, it's all going to be yours. And by the way, there are multiple tribes and kings with armies that live all the way up and down between here and there. This is literally what he said to Abraham. In fact, here's a map of the land that God promised to Abraham. Now, Israel, I'm going to come over this side. Right now, today, modern-day Israel... It's 8,000 square miles, and it's right here. This little tiny piece right here. But the land that God promised was all the way from Egypt, across Saudi Arabia, over to Iran, through Iraq, all the way up to southern Turkey. That's the land that God promised to Abraham. (laughs) 
God's destiny for your life is far beyond what you and I could even think or imagine. This is why it's a travesty when a person does not submit to God and let God draw the lines and the boundaries of their life. We live so small if we live independently from God. Look at Peter. He was a fisherman by trade. Nothing wrong with that unless God's called you to be an apostle of the church and raise the dead, by the way. They're still making statues of him. Or Paul, who was incredibly successful just in the wrong direction. And God redirects him. Instead of being a terrorist to the church, he ends up being one of the greatest apostles ever of the church, right in two-thirds of the New Testament. Or Mary. She was just living in a small town, teenage girl, going to marry Joseph. That's cool, carpenter. We got a good little blue-collar family. Everything's sweet. How about being the mother of God? David, teenager, playing his guitar, taking care of the sheep. Nothing wrong with that, unless you're going to be the greatest king that Israel's ever had. One is your plan. The other is God's plan. Which one do you want? I want to challenge you. Everyone who's listening, watching, and everyone here, I want to challenge you to yield your life completely to Christ and just see what he will do. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that God's plan for you has already been written in a book. Every day has already been written. It's a beautiful story. Are you living it? You're not if you're not submitted to Christ because you have a free will. It's called rebellion, independence. I'm going to live my life. We really, really believe that our life would be better if we live it independently from God. It's utter foolishness. God is good. He's not broke. He's all wise. He sees the end from the beginning. He's madly in love with you. And he will blow your mind if you will just yield your life to him. Can I hear an amen to that? And so Abraham did. But he was really struggling with this. In Genesis 15.8, Abraham says this. After God promises him this ridiculous part of God's dream and destiny for his life, he says, oh, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So here he's back to needing help with his faith. And what I'm going to teach you right now is the mother load. This is the revelation. This, what God's about to share with Abraham, is like a foundation of massive foundation of concrete under these bricks that you build upon. It's a foundation in your and my spiritual walk with God that we can put his word on top of and build our house. And this is where we're going to need to help with the help from the Holy Spirit for our Western mindset to understand the mindset of the Middle East at the time this was written, or today in Africa and India and other places where, quote, uncivilized people live who never break covenant, rather than us in a civilized society where we break contracts all the time. What God did with Abraham settled it for him, and he just could not believe what God did. And we're going to pick this up now. And Genesis chapter 15, verse 9 through 11. How does God answer Abraham? He says, bring me a three-year-old heifer 
a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed them, each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And verse 17 and 18, and it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there was appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I've given this land. Say, what is going on here? What God did in biblical terminology and in tribal terminology still used around the world and has been used for centuries and centuries, just foreign to our Western mindset, is called cutting the covenant. And when he had him cut the animals right down the middle and he spilled the blood right down the middle and then when it got dark, God comes down from heaven as a burning torch in a furnace and he literally walks through the blood. It's called the walk of blood or the path of blood. And as he's walking through the blood, he's making promises to Abraham. I will give this land to your children. What is he doing? He's cutting The covenant with Abraham. Why the blood? Because God, when a person cuts the covenant in blood with you, he is saying or she is saying, I promise you on my very life itself that if I do not follow through on a promise I've made to you, it will cost me my life. I give myself wholly to you. We are familiar with a contract in our culture, but there's a huge difference between contract and covenant. And a contract, you give, exchange one good for another, like on Craigslist. Bought my daughter a guitar just recently on Craigslist for her birthday, and they wanted my money, I wanted their guitar, we met at a gas station, And they bring a guitar. They had a handful of them in their trunk, which I find very curious. But anyway, I tried them. I said, okay, I'll take this one. I gave them the hundred and some dollars. They gave me the guitar, and we're all happy. It was easy. It was kind of shallow. It's just a guitar for money. It's no big deal. That's not the same as covenant. The definition of covenant is giving oneself to another. Well, that certainly did not happen there at the gas station. But it did happen when I walked down the aisle with my bride and I said, I do, and she said, I do. Marriage is the closest thing to covenant that we have. It is the giving of oneself to another. Successful marriages are never 50-50. It's 100-100. There's no back door, there's no side door, there's no way out. It's you and me, baby, for better or for worse. And with that mentality, you're able to fully give yourself one to another. You may know the story of uh, Stanley and Livingston. Stanley was a journalist who was sent in the 1860s to go find Livingston. Livingston was a British explorer 
who went to fight in the source of the Nile River. And he was gone for way too long. And so um, Stanley's editor sent him to go find Livingston in Africa. He goes to Africa, and he was having the hardest time getting into the interior of Africa because he kept running into tribes who would not allow them to pass through their territory. And it was so frustrating. Then he, he got dysentery, he got really sick, and he had this goat, and all he could do was drink the goat's milk. That's the only thing his stomach could handle, and he, that, he, he needed that goat to survive. And he ran into this warring tribe, and the chieftain of the warring tribe wanted to cut the covenant with Stanley. And Stanley's like, I'm not going to cut a covenant. That's gross. That's barbaric. That's, that's disgusting. Why would I want to do that? And his, his guide said, why won't you cut the covenant with the, with the chieftain? He said, I don't understand. That's not my culture. That's not what I do. He said, what would happen if I cut the covenant with the chieftain? Because he kept getting sicker and sicker. He couldn't get through to find Stanley, or to find uh, Livingston. And he said, if you cut the covenant with this chieftain, everything he has will be yours. He said, oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay, I'll cut the covenant. So he decides to cut the covenant. They come together, and the first thing they do is they make vows to one another. They make promises to one another. Well, I have your back. You have anything I have that you need, it's yours. Then they exchange gifts. And the chieftain hands Stanley, a seven-foot stick with copper round around the top of it, and he says, and I want your goat. He says, the stick for the goat? Seriously? He had the hardest time giving up that goat because he needed that goat's milk. But he said, that's what he wants. So he had to give it to him. So he trades the goat for the stick. And he thinks he's been short-changed. But do you know, from that day forward, Everywhere he went on the continent of Africa, people saw that stick and they bowed down to him. Because that chieftain had authority. And everybody knew, you mess with Stanley, you mess with the chief. It's just like an officer that says, stop in the name of the law. Well, it's just one individual with a badge on and maybe a gun. But what if he's got somebody that's facing him that's got more firepower, has got more people. Why does he say, in the name of the law? He doesn't say, in my name. He says, in the name of the law. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because the entire judicial system is backing him up. And the person knows when he says, in the name of the law. When you and I, which I'll teach next week on the name of Jesus, when you and I come up against the powers of darkness and we say, in the name of Jesus... All of heaven is backing us up. See, this isn't some cheap, dinky, shallow thing that we're involved in here. We are covenant people. With the covenant keeping God, who owns heaven and earth. When I pray, I say to God often, I'm a covenant man, talking to my covenant-keeping God. I yell because he's hard of hearing. By the way, in case you were wondering why I yell pray. 
He's, he's far away. <clears throat> no, he answers thought prayers. He answers whisper prayers. I just like to shout pray. But I say, I'm a covenant man, a covenant son, and I'm coming to my covenant-keeping God, and I'm calling you upon your promises and the covenant you've cut with us. This is the foundation that God is laying under Abraham's feet, and it's the foundation he has laid under our feet, which we're going to look at in just a second. The thing about covenants is it's always the lesser who's in need making a covenant with the greater. I need you to make a treaty with me. I need a covenant with you because I'm in need and you have what I need. Please cut the covenant with me. The thing that is absolutely mind-blowing about the gospel is the greater cut the covenant with the lesser. What do we have that can impress God? What do we have that God needs or wants? God initiated the cutting of the covenant with us. That's why Abraham is blown away. He understands blood covenant. He understands that the God who created everything is cutting the covenant with him in blood. Abraham knows that if God were to break his word, he would cease to exist. That's why in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, if you read it, read it in the Amplified, Hebrews chapter 6, it's amazing. The writer of Hebrews talking about this very account and says, by two things we have an anchor to our souls that God made promises to Abraham and God cannot lie, and then he made an oath, he swore that he would be good to his promises. And he swore by himself because there was no one higher to swear by. You read that in Genesis chapter 17. He makes these promises to Abraham and then he swears by himself that I will absolutely perform these promises. So the closest thing we have is our marriage covenant when you come to the aisle and we face one another. And you make vows to one another. You're promising each other what this covenant is going to look like. Then we exchange gifts, the rings that we exchange with one another. And we have a priest there that is blessing it. And then, that night, you give yourself to one another wholly, completely. Nothing held back. And you become one. You become one. That's what happened with Abraham and God in this encounter. They became one. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. The H is the breath or the name of God. God merged himself with Abraham and they became one. And he became a covenant man. You mess with Abraham, you mess with Jehovah God Almighty. I'm going to say to you right now, the devil messes with you, he's messing with God Almighty. And if you know it, your faith in everything that's been promised to you is huge. This is why it really bothers me when Christians are afraid of the devil. Do you not know that the Bible says, submit to God? Then it has a period there. 
It's not a comma, period. Submit to God. Give yourself wholly to him like Abraham did, like Jesus did, like the apostles. Give yourself wholly to God. Submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word literally flee means run with your hair on fire. Who are we? We are the recipients of a covenant cut with Almighty God. And the next thing they did, by the way, I hope you're grabbing this. I hope this is sinking in. I hope this is, that's why God says things like this. If your enemy comes up against you one way, do you know the promise? Do you know what the rest of that scripture is? They will flee from you seven ways. When you understand, first of all, that you and I are in a covenant with Almighty God who cut it with us, then you learn the Bible, which is the covenant promises. That's why if you don't know the promises, you don't even know what's yours. You pray, you speak, you walk with such unbelievable confidence. Like one time when my brother and I were in business, and this multi-million dollar corporation bought out the strip mall that our office was in because they wanted to destroy us. Because we were out-producing them. And they, they couldn't, and we wouldn't work for them. They asked us, please come work for us. We said no. And so they bought out the entire strip mall. And... And they said, work for us or we're going to shut you down. And so we were cooked. We were done. We either kowtowed to this person or we're out of business. And when my brother told me the news, I remember I was standing. I was down by the sports arena. I'm standing outside our office by the sports arena. He came down and said, John, he called me Johnny because that's what my family calls me. Johnny, he says, either we uh, work for this gentleman or we're out of business. And out of the core of my belly came an involuntary laugh. <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed. And he started laughing and laughing because what was going through my mind was Psalm 37 that says, When the wicked grow like a green bay tree and they look indefeatable, it's only so they'll be cut down and be found no more. All these promises from my covenant with God are flying through my head, realizing this person who is a business mogul who could crush us with his thumb. You mess with us, you're messing with Almighty God. I really believed that. Do you? And so they flew my brother up to L.A. He walked into the office. There's the guy that owns the business. He's sitting behind his big oak desk with his big fat cigar. And he has nine vice presidents in the office. And my brother said, um, I'd like to ask you to have all your vice presidents leave the office. And he looked and went, <clears throat> He said, yeah, I'm going to wait. They all leave. My brother takes the Bible, slams it on the dude's desk. and says, either you undo everything you've done in the last 30 days or you're going to go out of business. Because the Bible says that whom God, who, who, whoever blesses me, God will bless. Whoever curses me, God will curse. And I'm giving you a warning. And the guy could not believe this foolishness in front of his desk. 
He laughed him. He laughed at him. My brother left. Within the next 30 days, that company went public. And as soon as they went public, Forbes magazine put out a report on them and said, do not do business with this company. They are crooked. And they ceased to exist. He went down and we went on. The next thing they do in the blood covenant, and I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to uh, expedite here. Because we're going to receive communion in, at the end of this message. And it might be, you might take, my hope is that you'll take communion today. Unless you've heard this before, it's a refresher. If you've never heard this teaching before about the blood covenant, you may take communion today like you never have before ever in your life. Because you understand more deeply what it actually represents. So do the demons, by the way. So do sickness and disease and all the fallen angels of hell, the devil himself, all of heaven. They get it. Do we get it? The most important thing they do when they're cutting the blood covenant, the last thing they do is they have a representative from each tribe. And so Stanley had his man come up, and I can imagine him going, oh dear God, how did I get caught up in this? And the, the chieftain had one of his, his men came up, and they came up and they, they cut their wrists and they let the blood drip into a cup and the priest stirred it around and then they both drank from the cup. Then they rubbed the wrists together. They become blood brothers. You remember that when you were a kid? You know, let's become blood brothers. And you, pick your, you prick your finger with a little needle and you do this and don't tell anybody about it. Anybody ever do that? I did. You did it, Bob? All right, you and me, Bob, we're feeling each other. Everybody else thinks we're really weird right now. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. See, this, this terminology begins to make sense to us. And then they put gunpowder in the wound, so there's a scar there, so that everybody who sees that man with the scar knows he's a blood brother. You better not mess with him. On the honeymoon night, God has designed it so that when the woman is a virgin and they come together as one and they cut the covenant, that's why there's blood. Now we jump to the New Testament. You ready? Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, Then he said to them, With fervent desire. I looked up that in the Greek. It is, it, it is craving. It's the word for craving. I have craved. With fervent craving, I have craved to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What was the Passover? The Passover was when the death angel was going over Egypt and killing the firstborn in Egypt to try to get Pharaoh to let God's people go free from slavery. And so God told the Jewish people, take a lamb, kill it, and put the blood over the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes by, if the blood is over the doorpost of your house, he will pass by. If not, your firstborn will die. Jesus waits for the Passover where they're going to sacrifice the lamb and says, I have craved to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What was he about to do? Anybody, anybody got it? What was he about to do? He was about to cut the covenant. 
Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Now, to their West, the Middle Eastern mindset, they knew exactly what he was talking about, and they could not believe it. They're still trying to catch up to what the heck is he talking about. This is my blood of the new covenant, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. When we remember what Jesus did, when he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, he says, remember our blood covenant, which I cut with my own blood for you. When God makes promises to you and I as his followers, For him to go back on one of his promises will be a breaking of the blood covenant that he made with you and I in the blood of his own son. He's not going to do it. That's why the New Testament says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Does this put a foundation under your feet, maybe, that you had not known of before? When I come to God in prayer, in my mind, this is what I do. I know that seems a little grotesque and morbid, but like I said earlier, listen, there are no broken covenants in these other continents. Stanley and Livingston, in 50 years of being on the African continent, had never one time even heard of a broken blood covenant. Because if you break a promise in the blood covenant, your own relatives will hunt you down to kill you. Because if you break a promise in a blood covenant, a curse will go through your family to the fourth generation. You hear promises in the Bible like, I will bless those, I'll bless your children to the fourth generation, or I will, the, the sins of the fathers will go to the children to the fourth generation. You ever hear that terminology? That's the terminology of the blood covenant. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ who has been shed for all of our broken part of the covenant. That's why it's a better covenant. Because when we fall short on our faithfulness to God, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The covenant is not broken when we break it. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is not the blood of bulls and goats, it's the blood of the Son of God. And the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, when we sin or if we sin, we can confess our sins and we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who stands before the Father. And he says, I, I, my blood takes care of this. That's part of the blood covenant, Father. And there's no way God is going to say, not this time. They've gone too far, as Sam would say. So when I pray, and I want you to have this image in your mind, I pray you do the same. I know it seems a little gross, but man, it's holy. When I come to the Father, I never come in my own righteousness, my own performance. I come in the walk of blood. I did it this morning. I pace around my house, around from the living room to the kitchen, over the foyer, past my bedroom, my office, and I do this square, and I call it the walk of blood. I walk in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And I say, Father, I am walking the path of blood in the name of your son Jesus. And I'm calling upon you, my covenant-keeping God, for every promise you've promised me over my children. You said great shall be their peace, and you'll contend with those who contend with me, and you shall save my children. That's your promise, and you're the promise-keeping God. I'm calling you upon your promise today, God Almighty. He's not offended, by the way, when you pray like that. He's like, yes, somebody gets it. And they're honoring the sacrifice of my son. That's when people say, well, sin's not a big deal. It's just missing the mark. I'm like, well, somebody should have told God that before he sacrificed his son like that. I'm going to read the book of Hebrews, a big chunk, and then we're going to receive communion. This passage may mean more to you now than it ever has. Now I'm going to ask the ushers to bring... Oh, you already have. Oh, you guys are on it. Look at that. Bring the communion down here in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come down the center aisle, and this is what I want in your mind. As I read this scripture, this chunk of scripture to you, it's a good chunk, but I want you to... In in the context of what I just taught, which was like speed preaching the blood covenant, I want you to come down that middle aisle as though you're walking the path of blood. And God's watching. The covenant-keeping God is watching. And you come walk down that path of blood and the blood of Christ, and you think about the areas of your life that you have need. Everything God has, everything God is, is yours. He is your covenant God, and Jesus is your blood brother. And you come walking down that path of blood saying, God, I believe your promises for this area of my life, for this area of my life, for this area of my life. Whether it's sickness and disease, whether it's need financially, God's not broke. Whether it's um, guidance, direction, shame, guilt. Look at what the writer Hebrew says. He's writing to the Hebrews who understand blood covenant. So Christ has now become, now just listen as I read. Let it sink down into your heart. You can even close your eyes and just listen. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come, the New Testament. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. See that? Two different worlds. With his own blood, not the blood of bulls and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time. And secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, which we just read, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds or sin consciousness, guilt. So that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it's necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. 
While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, the blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. In the same way, listen to this, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle. And on everything used for worship. In fact, according to Moses and the law, nearly everything was purified by blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven. You catch that? I want you to catch this. That's why God told Moses how to perfectly and specifically, if you read in the book of Leviticus, how to create the tabernacle, the tent of worship, and everything that's in it, the utensils, the showbread, the, the, uh, the, the table, all that stuff. He told him exactly how to do it. You know why? He was making a copy of the throne room of heaven. I want you to have that in mind as we read on. Listen to this. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. Two worlds. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again. Ever since the world began. That's why you don't have to come down the aisle and get saved again and again and again. You get saved one time. Christ's blood covered it all. But now, once for all time, He has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by His own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so that removes reincarnation right there. You die once, then judgment. So also Christ offered, was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sin of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. I'm going to read one more short passage, then we're going to receive communion. But I want you to, to catch what that just said. Jesus took his blood mark. He rose from the dead. He went to heaven with his blood. He walked into the throne room of his father and sprinkled everything in heaven with his blood all the way up to the throne. That's what that just said. Everything in the Old Testament was a copy. Moses sprinkling everything in the tabernacle with blood. Jesus took his blood, went to heaven, and sprinkled everything up to the throne, which is why the Bible says, Come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace for help in your time of need. That's why you don't cower at the throne. You don't knock on the doors of heaven. Jesus blew the gates off and he made a path of blood going all the way up to the throne of God. That's why you and I have authority from earth all the way to the throne and everything in between. No demon can tell you what to do. We are to have authority over everything. Everything in his mighty name. We are ambassadors 
of the covenant-keeping God here on earth. That's why you walk right up to the throne in His blood. Say, good morning, Father. What are we going to do today? How many demons do we get to cast out? Let's see people get healed today, Jesus. Thank you for all your provision. You're going to provide for me today. You're going to protect me today. So he closes in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living, life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we have, we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. I pray by the Holy Spirit that our eyes would be open to what kind of covenant we have with Almighty God. It will literally remove all spiritual insecurity. It obliterates doubt and unbelief and fear when we realize we're a covenant people walking with a covenant God who owns everything. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your chairs now. I'm going to ask you to come down the center aisle. And this now has become the walk of blood. And as you're coming down the path, in your mind's eye, you right now are walking in the blood of Jesus, coming to your covenant-keeping God. And as you take this bread and you take this juice, you are saying to Almighty God, I am a covenant son. I am a covenant daughter. And I remember the covenant you cut with me. And I believe that you are faithful to your promises. No sins too great. No problems too big. For your God to cover. I want you to receive the blood, the body and the blood of your covenant with God when you're ready. You can do it with you and your wife, you and your family, you as an individual. Jesus 
My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But holy trust in Jesus' name My hope is built My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But holy trust in Jesus' name Christ
teams to come down front. You just go ahead and move out of your seats now. Those that are interceding, come in early 9.30. Join us at 9.30 for prayer. It's an amazing, powerful time. If you have sickness or disease in your body, you come down. I don't care how many times you've come down. Come on. We don't bat a thousand, but if we quit swinging, you're not even going to get a single. Come on down. We're just going to keep praying, calling upon our covenant, keeping God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, If you saw what I read today, you heard it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It's not good works that gets us to heaven. It's faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. We read where it says everyone dies once and then the judgment. And the judgment is for sin. But you come to Christ, His blood cleanses us from all sin. Heaven's a free gift, but you have to receive it. If you've never received Christ, come down front and receive Him as your Savior. And God will forgive you of all of your sins. I'm going to ask Josh to continue to worship. Let's just continue with this song. Such a great song for what is is taught. Pretty good at what you do. We're going to continue to worship. You can come down for prayer. You can slide out for fellowship. Next week I'm going to teach on the power of Jesus' name and the authority that's in it. And I'll teach one more message on the power of declaration and confession, which will be two weeks from now. Um, And then we'll close out our faith series. I pronounce a blessing on you today in the name of Jesus. May your faith arise and may you walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' mighty name. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' Christ and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but only trust in Jesus' name. Christ Yeah.